Hey, Beth Martins, welcome to the Fox Den. It's awesome to finally chat with you. So great to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me, Jeremy. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a passion for helping men and women interact and uh, for archetypes and really for a lot of self-help stuff. Hero's Journey Archetype Coach. How on earth could I uh, not have you come on and chat about that? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I'm super passionate about it. Tell me, so tell us how you got into that. What's your background uh, occupationally? What, what, what do you think is important for us to know? I actually started out, uh, you know, aside from my university studies in anthropology, which took me cross-culturally looking at consciousness, looking at spirituality, looking at healing and medicine and seeing and always actually looking for what is the common thread that tied humanity together because you know there's so many differences between the cultures yes and so i just wanted to see what was what was common what was human what was maybe natural something that wasn't a cultural construct and that's where i started to dig in a little bit now i won't even call myself a Jungian. i, I okay. wouldn't qualify as that i just take honestly i often take as a as a i'm not a very good student in that way i take a just the tiniest bit of what somebody has put out academically, and then I run with it in my own life in a, in a more experiential way. So just by knowing that the archetypes existed set me off on a path of recognizing that as a means for, you know, awakening, right? If you want to come up with a, a word for what it is, evolving the soul to me is the main thing that, that we're doing here on this planet. And, uh, and then there came a point where I needed to, um, you know, I, I actually traveled to India eight times in order to do that and study, wow. you know, study met with a, a white bearded guru on a mountain, really classic cliche kind of a, a situation and uh, learning to read Sanskrit and work with mantras and I'm a songwriter as well. So I wrote music to a, a whole bunch of mantras and started recording and got into that artsy thing. But also the real world was kind of impending and saying like, Beth, this can't go on without some way to move in the world and, you know, make money and just be practical with all that kind of stuff. So at the same time as I was traveling, I had also been working for my parents' firm for basically my whole life. They run a marketing and communication firm that I was born and raised in. Like my playroom was their supply storeroom. Okay. <laughs> right. I still love office supplies. There's something I have a total affection for that. Yeah. Uh, right. And, uh, and so business was a little bit in my blood. And I thought at that point, okay, Beth, grow up. And I offered to go and train and study because after a degree in anthropology, even though I got the gold medal, I was trained for nothing. Right. So I offered to go and then further study how to be a consultant in my dad's world and my mom as well. And um, so he just said, well, I will, I will train you for nothing. And I'll even, in fact, I'll pay you to train you. So then you don't have to go off and, and go back to school. So that seemed, that seemed great. And right. working with my family's business gave me a lot of freedom. I could take off for six weeks every year and do my India trip. So I have a little bit of the best of both worlds, but in the end, it was really a you know way overextending myself. Uh, not right. only was I over overextended in those two worlds of business and spirituality, but I was also really out of alignment in the in the business world because it was a corporate culture 
that, right. I, you know, that wasn't in alignment with me. That there was so many things I didn't agree with. And I was working for clients that it was not, sometimes it was like, I can find their harm in the world, but even when it was just neutral, it wasn't my path. It wasn't the thing that I was here to do. It didn't align with your values is what I'm hearing. You, you wanted more. I wanted more. There was a different, there was some kind of road and I wasn't on it. Even as much as I was doing, you know, in every spare moment, I was putting on a workshop or teaching something or uh, hosting a teacher, doing an event, all that kind of stuff. There was still some other path that was purely mine. And I called it in by getting sick with a stage four lymphoma. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Wow. So it hit, hit that just full stop. I couldn't go forward because I didn't know how to quit my family's business. I felt really loyal to that. And I wanted to be a grown up and, you know, um, not rebel against society the way that I mostly had my whole entire life. And, uh, and then next thing you know, I'm, I'm a dying person and I had to quit everything, walk away from my job and my career and, uh, and all of my other extracurricular activities and the music and, workshops and you name it, it all just came to a full stop. So then I, it took me three years actually battling for my life. And I was diagnosed a second time, told I was definitely not going to survive. I'd already had a near death experience at that point. Although I didn't see the tunnel of light. I hear, don't go into the light, by the way, if you ever see the light, don't go there. Um, and I was faced with a very intense decision. It was, you know, I was, I was, I was in a, uh, I, knowing that you work with trauma, I was, I was dealing with so much trauma yeah. and, and then I'm told I'm not going to live and I yeah. come face to, right. I come face to face with this. Oh my God, I don't know what to do now. They were recommending that I do a stem cell transplant. Okay. And I found out that half the people die doing a stem cell transplant. Mm. So it was like, that's not good odds. I'm not sure about that. And it was at that point I discovered the work of Carolyn Mice, or Mace, I always say that wrong, who is um, very versed in archetypes. She wrote the sacred contracts that very moment that I was diagnosed the second time. Wow. And okay. I know. I know. I'd been following her work. So I went out and I just got that book and I knew that it held the keys to the, the puzzle for me, what to do at that juncture of my life. And I was ultimately able to discover the one archetype that was really severely sucking the life out of me. Okay. And, what, and when I saw that I was operating out of a place of fear, instead of, you know, embracing, I was like really putting a foot on, it was the rebel archetype for me, for those mm -hmm. of you out there who might be, you know, not really down with the system and not uh, wanting to toe the party line. And, you know, there's a different way. That's, that's that rebel archetype that says no, no was my first word. And uh, I was suppressing it so intensely that it was costing me my life. Wow. Okay. It was my first window into some big principles. One, one that there's two, two things that you can be doing in life no matter what you do, you're only coming from one of two places. That was a bit awkward how I said that, but you're, you're only ever coming from one of two places. Okay. And, and it's love or fear. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I was working for my parents' firm out of a place I was afraid not to be a loyal 
person. I was afraid not to be a grown up. I was afraid not to make money. I was afraid not to go to India. I was afraid not to, it was all, all that, all that stuff. And so it gave me this sudden insight that, oh, wow, I could live out of this place of actual like love for myself, for the work I do, for right. the, the planets, for my body, all, all of that, that kind of thing. So that was a, a huge tweak at that point. And, and then seeing how badly I'd suppressed my rebel archetype, I was able to just unsuppress it. And I was starting to, you know, I, I, it was my days of walking with, a, uh, be, being a rebel with a cause rather than without a cause, which is the same thing about love and fear. Like when you're awake as an archetype, then it can only come from love. Like awake and love are the same thing. Right. Okay. That's some powerful stuff to unpack. Wow. Um, that, I mean, just the fact that you can attribute so much to a personality bind, a, a blockage in your self-expression, I mean, that's pretty big. How's your health been since you've come to all this awareness? Uh, I'm, I'm 20 years in remission, so I'm, I'm totally clean, never had to look back. Wow. I, uh, I divorced the medical system almost entirely, although I shouldn't be very arrogant about that because, you know, you need them sometimes and uh, I appreciate that they're there for me. So, yeah, I, I, I've never had to look back. My health has really continuously been a subject for me. I won't say it's not. There's things that, you know, if you've noticed this in your own life that the problems I had back then are still the problems I have right now. Okay. I'm just, I'm just having them at a totally different level. <laughs> I, on a different developmental plane, like you're facing stuff that's a, a new challenge, almost like you're ready for it. Is that? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I consider it to be that when you're evolving your soul, if you want to have an image for that, there's, there's a, there, it, life is a spiral. Right. Sometimes it, some, like the hero's journey, it's, a, it's circular, right? It goes, mm -hmm. it goes around, but more than a circle, it's a spiral. And if you're evolving your soul, you're growing, you're gaining energy, you're becoming more adept, you're more on purpose, you're happier, you're more alive. Uh, doesn't mean you're less challenged, that's for sure. But the spiral moves up and it tightens. It's and interesting, then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just just to finish the, the opposite is you know if you're if you're devolving then it's the spiral is going down you're losing energy you're draining that's why i was dying that was just the image to see the difference between life and death wow absolutely i mean it's interesting you bring that up because the kind of with emdr and with trauma therapy there's the idea of like this spiral of individuation of of connecting thing like being um, on one's own and looking at oneself as okay, this is my boundary and where I begin and then where other people end. So it's like the individuation and mutuality spiral of how much is you, how much is other people. And usually obviously with, with trauma, people cut off and they're not, there's no mutuality. They cut themselves off from, from others and they're like an Island and that's very damaging because you're not getting any circulation from the rest of humanity. And so the, the spiral image is used a lot in trauma work and mental health therapy in general, um, like just oscillating between processing too much and letting in too much and then letting in nothing. Um, mm -hmm. Really interesting stuff. Do you attribute anything in your recovery physically to um, health changes or physiological stuff, or do you see it as just 
primarily a change in attitude or both? It seemed like all of it. Okay. It seemed like all of it so that I worked at a lot of different levels. Uh, you know, physically I did it, anything I possibly could relate to, whether it was conventional or alternative, uh, right from the most flaky things. I didn't even believe in Reiki, but I got results with Reiki. So, okay, interesting. Um, right. you know, the, I, the, the so-called science of medicine, which is, don't go there for me right now. Um, you know, and then the science of the natural side, I was working with a naturopath, getting ozone injections and, you know, all kinds of like, um, photophoresis, having my blood taken out and, and, and UV radiated and given back to me, like all kinds of like sort of more sciencey alternatives. Uh, I saw a counselor, I saw a psychologist, I saw uh, you name it. Like I just kind of did, did it all. I changed my diet. I went raw for a while, a time I did a ton of colonics. Those are like amazing. They're actually one of the best alternative therapies I've ever come across. I have That's heard such great results with that. So it was, it was kind of everything, but honestly I was doing everything before and I was still dying. So it's not okay. to say that's, it's not to say that's not important, but the key turner for me was reclaiming energy from the unconscious that I was using to suppress important parts of myself. Wow. Okay. I mean, and I think it's, it sounds like a holistic, and I love that word because it encompasses so much, right? There's mm -hmm. a, a real holistic approach is necessary in recovery, whether that's psychological, physiological, or oftentimes both. So that's, mm -hmm. that's amazing. And so just to recap, you, your journey here has been through being kind of taking up that mantle of your family's business and then going on a self-discovery quest, recognizing, you know, something feels amiss. I want more, I want to contribute. And so uh, that's where you are now is, is do, building your own brand and helping others, giving, giving back. It's amazing. Yeah, after recovering, I knew clearly that I was not going to get uh, a job. <laughs> and I had seen, at that point, I had seen what I'm here on this planet to do. Okay. In a kind of blueprint way. So not a super literal way. It's almost a little bit more on the poetry side. You're going to get my cat's tail in this shot here. Oh, that's uh, fine. <laughs> um, I just, I just knew what I was here to do. I, and I knew that if I didn't do it, I wasn't going to get out of it. So I was really tuned in with my purpose and the fact that mm -hmm. purpose is something that everybody walks with. It's, there's no, there's no being on earth without purpose. And one of the main qualities about purpose is that it's doesn't happen in a vacuum. No. Right. It's, it it's, it's how you're connected with humanity. It's how you are here to contribute to the greater good of the human family or population. Uh, so then I, I thought, okay, well, you know, business sucks. Cause I, I kind of demonized business at that point, but if, because I wasn't going to get a job, I started a business with pretending that I wasn't. So I okay. went off and yeah, <laughs> I went off into the spiritual arts and I, uh, recorded music and made CDs. I've got four CDs and I um, taught classes. I did, I did yoga stuff because yoga was just starting to come up and been popularity. And I'd done this India trip so much already and taught workshops. I started to teach about the, the archetypes. I put events yeah. on, did all kinds of stuff. 
And uh, I was kind of like a many-headed dragon at that point, going in a lot of different directions. Kid in a candy store too, because it was the first time I could just do whatever I want as long as I could make the money doing it to support it. I, I was sovereign. I had my freedom. And it wasn't until I actually gave, um, got pregnant with my son and gave birth and started to have to get responsible to the next level and not just be like the hippie trick, hippie chick going out every night to teach a $20 yoga class Sure. that, that I re-embraced another level of myself. Cause that, that's the whole theme of it is wholeness that if there's any parts of yourself, if you're listening to this, that, that you don't like, or you think is not acceptable or you're rejecting it, or it's been rejected by others. So then you turn around and, and say, it's not good then that part of you is always going to call you back. To me, that's actually what trauma is. I've studied trauma a, a lot in the last couple of years in particular through clients, through myself, not trained. So I'm not going to say, like, I'm definitely not a psychologist, but I study it internally. And looking at how everybody gets fractured. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. ev- unfortunately, everyone is traumatized. That's uh, the most normal life is a traumatic one right from birth. Uh, now that doesn't compare with people who've been through things. Like I had a client who was a victim of satanic ritual abuse mm. and human trafficking and horrendous things that had been passed down through many generations in her family. Um, now I've met several people that have been through some version of that. Uh, you know, So there's obviously different levels, but those fractures are things that can be looked at really carefully through the lens of the archetypes and also to see the whole thing. It's just the bits and the pieces, they cost us so much mm-hmm. that the energy it takes to hold part of ourself as if separate, which is, you can't get, you can't get away from yourself. There's no, there's no getting away because our, our destiny is wholeness. That's, mm-hmm. that's like the, the whole, the whole picture of it. And then, so if you can, Find out those places that you're cut up, even if it's just your job, because now I'm a business coach, by the way, I reclaimed that whole thing, turned around and started helping people build businesses out of their life purpose, because that's what I needed. I I wanted to be in business, but I wanted it to be exactly me and who I am and not trying to cater to some other world that was out there. And so in healing those fractures, in becoming not like a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher and an archetype teacher and a musician and, right. and, and event, blah, blah, blah. You know, like all of those pieces, I was able to pull it all together and contain it in one by um, dissolving the fractures, by pulling my energy out of that effort to split myself up and, and literally freeing energy up, turning it into free energy. Right. And, and that's the whole magic right there. Once you have free energy, then you're actually in the hands of God. You are, and you, you kind of always are, but then you feel it. <laughs> and you'll see it. It, it, it's, there's way, it. it proves it to you because things start happening much more easily, much more magically, much more um, without having to engineer or to you know, desire and pound the pavement for for every little thing. So what your, your modality really uh, corresponds and is congruent with what I do. So when I hear you talking about this, yeah, development itself is kind of a, 
a phase of, if you really want to go Freudian, uh, small crises or traumas, right? The trauma of even recognizing that when we're an infant, the world doesn't revolve around us. Different things that we could just say, shatter whatever existent worldview we have and, and have us confront some kind of painful truth, right? That, that we could say that's like a lowercase t trauma. So people go developing itself. It's a very, it's, it can be a very hazardous thing. And that's why many people choose not to ascend as high as they can go, right? Because uh, before we started recording, you were just talking about like facing, facing struggles still, even when you're at a higher developmental level, the struggles just change. Um, and they, you can't overcome them easier. I'm not saying that, but it's, there's still some, there's, there's a cost and benefit to development. And when you're talking about the, the archetypes and how any negative archetypes monopolizing things or not, are you not expressing an archetype? I think a lot about ego state work, which involves like conscious states, self states and people who've been traumatized usually have like an, the introject of a parent state, right? A negative parental figure, like a, a critical mother, an abusive father, and that repeats and they've got this part that is just a bunch of memories that keeps playing, right? If you don't want to go metaphysical with it, you can say it's an, a neural network that keeps going, these memories. So that takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of cognitive, it's like a background pr program slowing down the computer, like in our frontal lobe, we're, we're, we're slower, we always have this stuff going on. So I, I love how there's a, con a congruence there. Beautiful, beautiful. One thing I'd love to add, just what you said about, yeah, um, I'll, I'll be a shit disturber here, and, and, and the, um, <laughs> the, that idea about get, babies' beliefs getting shattered, oh, the world doesn't revolve around them. I think actually babies got it right. And, and what, we've done mm. to, what we've done to them is, uh, is, is fracture, cut them up. So, they, so they've, they've already got their, their vision of wholeness. They've already got their, their um, realization that everything is connected, including them. And, right. that, and that they are, they are the center. Like everybody, everybody is the center. That, that's, not a wrong, that's not a wrong perspective. So we come along and we go. And, and then, and because honestly, there were times when babies were considered to be blobs. There was like literally nothing going on. Now, now babies are um, uh, uh, predated. Is that a word? Like there's 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 a there's a predation going on of of uh, babies and children and the whole trafficking thing. Absolutely, they're eating those things. Like it's it's beyond it's beyond. And why are they? I have to ask myself this, knowing this. Unfortunately, why why are they doing that? Is because babies have it going on. They are connected. They have. There's nothing between them and divine source. They are shining the brightest that any being could ever shine. It's why when the leaves come out in the spring, they have that like, ooh, oh, wow, those are so beautiful. But as you go on in the summer, um, you don't sit and ooh and awe ah about the leaves anymore. They're just, oh, those are nice leaves if you have to think about them. But there's something when, when anything's new straight from the source, it's got that glow to it. It's just like, you know, um, any, any animal knows that when I eat food, I want it fresh. I want it close to the source. I don't want it six weeks old sitting in the grocery store. Um, you know, I want it new. So there's, there's something about that that 
anyway, that's just, just to say you have to, rather than wake up and have your beliefs shattered, this is where I totally, totally diverge from Freud. It's, mm -hmm. it's that so many beliefs are put onto you. This is a big, big bandwagon I'm on right now. I didn't, I didn't warn you to talk about this, but the, mm -hmm. the, the whole idea of having beliefs or, or just having beliefs, that's what we, that's what, how you train a child. Here's the thing to believe. Here's the thing to believe. Here's the next thing to believe. Here's, you know, all of the, the you, you create their worldview. You create everything that's real for them. And that is another massive drain of energy. Okay. That what I now see about the world based on the experiences I've been through in the last, you know, two, three years now, uh, has shattered all of my beliefs. Okay. How so? What have you, Yeah. Yeah. So I went through like my, first of all, my dad dies in, in 2015. Uh, that was, you know, so that, that's a, a death is always a big thing. Then my mom dies in 2017. Uh, so losing both parents, that's kind of like a, it's, it's a initiation of its own. It just, it puts you in a totally different context in the world. And then I had a client that I mentioned had been victim to ritual abuse and, mm -hmm. uh, and trafficking. And I had to see that world. I had to finally open my eyes, come up and out of denial and see. And it's not like, um, it's not a freak case. It's a whole, it's a whole network. It's a whole existence of, of things in the world. I never even used the word evil before that, but there it is, you know, in, in technicolor, something that, you know, if you haven't looked into or your world, your audience hasn't looked into, it's something out there. Um, now that I see it, I can't unsee it. And it, it made me question, you know, there's this whole fake news uh, campaign going on, trying to let you know that, oh, don't, don't believe anything you see. Well, there's, there's a certain truth in it because, you know, as one example of the way that our, you know, this, this is the basis for marketing and advertising, for example, right? Edward Bernays discovered that you could manipulate people by showing them pictures and saying words to them and just simply give them a worldview they didn't have before. You could make them think a war was going on that, that wasn't. You, right. could make, you could make them think a war should be going on when it shouldn't be. You could make them think they should take a pill to uh, not get pregnant instead of have babies, even though it causes cancer. You could make them, you know, just endless, endless. You could make them eat garbage. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and feed it to their children thinking it's way better than breastfeeding. You could, you know, you, you get it, right? So that's, that's the machine that has, uh, now, now I, see, I see through it. I see through it. And, and then there's, there's the sense, okay, all of these beliefs can be unpacked. In fact, as a, as a technique and a modality, all of these beliefs can be let go. And it was a big favor to me to lose all my beliefs because I reclaimed all the energy I was using to hold them in place. Wow. Okay. I just, the, the idea of the ritual abuse. So there, people have gone back and forth on that. Some people said, Oh, those are implanted memories from hypnosis and things. But uh, clearly you're saying these kind of things happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Lo lots of evidence for it. Way more than you need. Um, Feel free to knock on my door if you want a few, you know, good entry points into this stuff that uh, won't be severely traumatizing. Um, 
but it's, you know, just speaking of beliefs, for example, around feminism, I, I grew up, I had that rebel edge to me. It was uh, in the 60s when the feminist movement was starting to really take hold. There was this growing thing about, you know, really just like an anti-men sentiment was going on. I heard women talking about men all the time, complaining about them. It was women complaining about their husbands. That was just like this ongoing dialogue and narrative. And I really internalized this whole movement. And it wasn't until my dad died and my mom died that I started to realize and looking into it, because it's, it's all connected to this awakening, how I saw that the feminist movement was not an organic creation. It was, it was a program such as uh, all of the other campaigns to make us eat margarine and uh, eat processed food and um, not give our babies, you know, breast milk. And like, it was, just, it, it was another, it was another campaign to effectively take down the men of our society, which effectively takes down all of society. That's a, a, a big accusation. <laughs> and you can see the evidence of it is that there are a growing number of men in the world that like, you know, aren't powerful that, you know, they use the Simpsons to show us the, uh, the um, Homer is his name, you know, like that, that he's like this quintessential figure and there's these endless figures, male figures out there to make people believe uh, and I'll just personalize it rather than try to prove anything out there. What was, what was happening for me is just, I woke up after my dad died. I woke up to how disrespectful I felt towards men. Because mm. I worked for nothing but women for an entire decade thinking that, oh yeah, this is just my niche and my business. And I just naturally work with women. Nothing against men was the, this, my story. But I really had to discover inside myself actually there was this deep-seated hatred, thinking that men were to blame for all of the things that are going wrong on this planet. The wars, the famines, the pestilence, the violence, the, you name it. You know, the whole toxic masculinity kind of thing. It's, it's very popular these days, and it's getting more popular as we go along. So I, as literally as a redemption project to because I can't go back and change that relationship with my dad, how it went. But now I just having healed so much of my own inner masculine, because that's the thing about the archetypes that they're the masculine and the feminine are both so deeply embedded in all of us. Okay. Then I turned around. Exactly. I turned around and started to, really have that desire to help men. And, and it wasn't even like, I oh, now I want to help men. It was that they were coming to me. You know, the middle of the night, I'm looking at an email. Somebody sent me, I'm dying of cancer. Can you help me? Uh, turned out to be this multimillionaire guy who's super successful at, in every single way, but he's dying. Mm, okay. And he saw that I got past it and a few people recommended he talked to me. So we got to work every day for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, he sends me an email and says, Beth, you saved my life. Wow. 
he got a clean bill of health and the stuff that I did with the archetypes and the release process that I use um, totally helped him just to see, you know, suddenly, and then I'm going like, wow, if I can help somebody that's that powerful, doing so much good in the world already through his work and his businesses and his purpose, mm-hmm. then this seems really worthwhile. If I can help lift who, who I now call it to be a king hero, right? You're, you're one, Jeremy, you're, you're out there, you're on the front lines, you're doing something more than you have to do to just make a living. Um, I don't know you very well, but I, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're taking a risk. You have me on your show. You're taking a risk. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the kind of people, that's the kind of men that we need in this world that the like strong, powerful, willing to assume responsibility uh, to step in leadership and, and show other people the way that's what is being lost in our society right now, very quickly. And the feminist movement is part of that. It's taking men down saying, like I used to say, I hope women take over the world. But now I realize that would just be a huge mistake. Well, and I think so that there's, it's interesting how time really is a pendulum or we could say spiral again. There's, you know, the, the systematic oppression of women throughout history due to physical limitations and just might makes right. Um, throughout history, you can see that. And so you can, you can see the backlash to it. And now you can see the backlash to the backlash with some of the more toxic elements of certain masculine communities. I really don't, so we're hearing women should take over the world. I think really equality, it's so, it's so elusive, right? People talk about equality. That's something that we really have to reach in society through intentionality. So um, I think, one of the big factors that I saw growing up was just the unbelievable, you want to talk about cultural movements, the um, you're alive, you're breathing, you're great as you are, no development necessary sort of culture of the 90s and 2000s is so different compared to previous generations, right? Parents who maybe were driven to be uh, themselves really successful by their parents telling their kids, oh, you'll find what your calling is, you'll find it, whatever, whatever. Well, people have to strive to find whatever it is they want to do, right? You have to go take take chances, go explore things. And I just see that attitude kind of just, just flickering. It's like a, a small dying flame of ambition, right? So I, I heard growing up just the complete lack of ambition. I think this has affected men a lot because they're getting conflicting messages. Like, well, you need to be a great provider on, in some camps. And uh, well, that's a patriarchal goal in other camps. And so really a, a lot of guys end up being paralyzed with sort of indecision and not even recognizing that that's what it is, not knowing what direction to go. And so, of course, mm-hmm. if you're not, you don't know where to go, you don't go anywhere. You become mm-hmm. stagnant. And I see that a lot. Of course, I see it in women too. Like you need to be a great mother and do everything proper. Or you're terrible. And then you need to have a full-time job though as a mother. Otherwise you're an archaic relic of the past. It's like, just the complete gender double binds that men and women are, are in, I think, leads to so much uh, petrification and no movement forward at all. I don't know if you yeah. observe the same thing. Exactly. How exactly. Do you do everything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, so I've created two archetype journeys in my, in my work. I consider it to be my pinnacle work really of all of this 20 years of study. 
and noticed that, so I did the, the women's journey first because that was my main gig for a lot of years. And, sure. uh, and then it's based on the hero's journey that already is archetypal, that the, right. you know, archetypes are, are not just soup. I was treating them that way for a lot of years because I knew about the hero's journey. I had read the uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. But it, was in- mm-hmm. but it was intellectual for me. I hadn't really like internalized it until after, again, my parents' death. And, sure. I, and, I, and I looked at the archetypes that I had um, psychically downloaded, right? Like that, it was literally through the process of grief and trauma. I had these visitations. Um, you know, the, the name of the, of the more feminine side of this whole journey is, is like, it was, a, it was a mermaid thing. That's, that, that was the archetype that, that, uh, that came up. I don't even like mermaids. It was never a thing for me. Uh, but it was that it was just myrrh all the way. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then when it came through with the masculine side, it was like, it's not going to be mermen. It's not mermen. It's absolutely not that. And it was, it was like, no, no, this is about the king. This is about the king hero. And, and so the, the way that the journeys, that, pardon me, the way that the, the archetypes fell into place was on the hero's journey on that map where really roughly you, you set out, you hear a calling and you either reject it or you accept it and you, and you set out and go through the hardships and the, and the battles and the, you know, the, the inward looking and the trials and the tribulations and, and then you, you're victorious, you overcome. And then finally, you return to your people with the riches, with the, with the goods, with the wisdom of the, of the whole thing. And so it was fascinating to, to run that through with women. It was like having created my own mythology because it's not, it's not exactly the hero's journey by any means. This is my thing. I, I take total license for it and yet it's still on the map and I get so much feedback that it's exactly what they're going through. Right. And and then I when I was creating the the King Hero's journey, I realized actually it's the identical archetypes. Okay. But they're they're going through it in a completely different way. So it looks different. And yes. this is where I have a little bit of uh, you know issue with the whole world word equality. It's we're fighting for something that already exists. So this is this is wrong. This is a lot of wasted energy. That mm-hmm. we are we are going through the identical thing, but we're not identical. Right? Men and women are not identical. Masculine and feminine is not identical. Right. They're not opposite either. That's another big mental trap. That to to have a belief about opposites is is a, a lot of lost energy as well. But, sure, I agree but, with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they, but they coexist, and and then they are the, of course, perfect complement to each other. And I always see it like this: it's the, it's the strands of the DNA. They, one does not exist without the other. So the conclusion is actually, they're not. You're not dealing with two things. You're dealing with one thing. Mm, okay. And when they come together, when there's the union, which is symbolized by the union of a man and a woman coming together in you know, marriage or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, then they become, they become one. They become part of the same whole. And not just so they can like roll off into infinity in their, in their, in their wholeness and, and bliss. It's so they can birth. Mm-hmm. Right? Whether that's a child or a movement 
or uh, you know whatever whatever it is, and that's the same thing that's happening inside everybody. So, you know, with a strong feminist take and having having beliefs that that the patriarchy needs to be put in its place, I actually don't even believe that. What what's wrong with society is that we have a psychopatharchy. Get into that. <laughs> I want to know. I we could have conversations about that. Tell us more about what you mean. The things that are happening in this world that are not right. The 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 things that clearly every single person you can talk to is going to know. Don't kill people. Don't maim people. Don't gas them. Don't you know? Like it's just endless. We, you'll have some. Uh, it, like there's very little room for that. It's that's born of people who don't um, actually have their full humanity. They don't, and you know, I'm only guessing, but like psychopathy, although that's a diagnosis, I know many people with souls that, that have been diagnosed that way. I think it's wrong, but I think the true, the true thing behind it is you don't feel, you don't, you don't have the ability to connect with that. Uh, the soul that in fact is, is the collective consciousness that is connected no matter what. And then so when it's, it's people like that that run our world, our leaders are psychopaths. It's just my, my sense of it, right? So uh, this is just my sense. But basically anybody who gets into power right now, whether uh -huh. that's whatever kind of power it is, celebrity power, this is all connected, right? Hollywood, politics, whatever, whatever power finances, that's the problem, writing with that psychopatharchy. That's, that's why in the corporate world, I couldn't stand it because that's all very high level cooperation with that. It has to. So again, I, I'm like, yeah, women should take over the world because they're peaceful and they are not going to go to war and they're not going to kill and maim and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, we need men to protect us. We need men with testosterone. We need men to eat meat. We need men to, um, you know, be strong. It doesn't get to exist. Uh, when it comes to, you know, not just, just like, oh, is, peace is actually something that um, is totally misunderstood. It's not, it's not this political agenda that, that we're being led towards because it's in, it's an inversion, right? They're, they're leading us. The psychopaths are leading us to peace. Okay, great. Like, what does that really mean? That's, that's an inversion. That's a kind of soul death. It's like, go to sleep. Don't, don't notice anything wrong. What's going on in the world. Just sit in your cave and meditate and pretend that you're in bliss. That's what, that's the kind of peace that they're selling. Right. So essentially passivity, if that's what you're mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Blind passivity. Wow. This is a, a massive conversation here. Uh, well, it, you know, it, you could go the evolutionary psychology route with this and, and say that, that ruthlessness by its very nature is going to prevail against passivity and cooperation. Right now to an extent, so I need to, to, to attach this really interesting video that someone on YouTube created that was like a simulation of organisms that like how much it balances out those that are purely aggressive and those that are purely cooperative because the purely aggressive will extinguish themselves because they're fighting each other and it's a net loss. The purely 
uh, cooperative will cooperate, but when the, the, the kind of mutation, when, there, when there's aggression, there's a certain amount of that that will survive, but not everyone, right? So you can look at, not everyone can be that aggressive is what I'm saying. So you can look at like the narcissistic epidemic we have in culture now. You can see, well, somebody, if there's a game of chicken, has to hit the brakes. Well, now fewer people do that. So we have more, we have, uh, more conflict in many ways. Now, crime is, crime is reduced. Nobody could argue that. Crime statistics show that we have far less crime than we did before, even decades ago. But it seems interpersonally that a lot of times in situations, no one's willing to give first. But I mean, there's some couples where no one wants to be the first one to take stuff first or be the first one to raise the white flag. Why? Because that shows weakness. It's about winning versus empathy. And so I, I really get into that, with, especially with trauma victims, trauma survivors, really, to reframe that phrase. I get into this idea of weaponized empathy, empathy being exploited, right? It's like an exploit in a program, a computer program. People, the psychopaths exploit that. And you see it in the church. You see the, the people who, it's literal preaching to the choir. It's people who are empathic are already susceptible to being told to do, do better and develop and grow. Right. They're the ones who are listening to that. And so you just there's a it's like in the Matrix when people's organic energy is being harvested for nefarious ends. It's like empathy is being but but there's a there's a limit to it with fewer impasse. The ones that are out there have to be drained more just for society's sake. Somebody has to be willing to be self-sacrificial. Right. So I like to talk with clients about boundaries. That's a that's a really cliched word at this point but they're essential because never have we had so many distractions and things that can take our energy or, or call to us. I mean, the, uh, the way that charity and empathy are exploited in people now is just absolutely disgusting to me. So I, I, I like where you're going with this stuff. Um, it's, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation because People with it's very difficult to turn that off selectively, but sometimes people have to. They have to protect themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, that's actually a, a really big part of my subject. That's the the specific people that I work with in my world have that nurturer archetype as one of their blueprints of ways to to be in sure. the world. And that's the boundaries are the big subject of nurturers. They are easily taken advantage of. They're generous, sure. kind, loyal. They want to help. They're, they're actually kind of desperate to help. That's it's a sure. need for them. And, uh, and then, so yeah, all kinds of stuff can, they can easily be taken, uh, for taken for granted and then, and then for sure taken advantage of at the same time. So then, you know, everybody needs to learn boundaries, but when, it, when a nurturer is really slammed up against the wall, that's, you know, it's where, it's where I was at with my, with my health. I was wanting to help and take care of my uh, family's business and uh, do all that kind of thing. But then I realized, oh my God, I'm losing my life to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was another aspect. It was, it was uh, <clears throat> the, the nurturer definitely was part of that, that whole right. thing. And then that's a big part of when I'm teaching someone to either build a business. This is one example of how it looks different with men and women. So, you know, women are, are said to be the nurturers. That's, that's said to be more of a feminine archetype. And my jury's still a little bit out. Like maybe it is a feminine archetype, but I think that, um, you know, women tend to be looking after the children. They tend to be looking after the home. They are 
um, more sort of emotionally available for people to access them as a way to, you know, heal or grow or be a sounding board or that kind of thing. And then they can really burn out on that and be left with no energy whatsoever. Now, it was interesting to see that, oh, men don't really, I was questioning this, like, is the nurturer part of this king hero journey or not? And I'm like, of course it is. When I look at my, my dad, he was looking after my mom, all mm-hmm. of us kids, all of his employees, all of his clients, uh-huh. you know, like right. um, the government, the bank. He was looking after everybody. And that's, that's what I noticed also about this young guy that, that came to me that was dying of cancer. He had this huge world to take care of. He couldn't just step away from his empire. He ha- actually had to be out of responsibility, the sense of, of really getting behind and supporting others, which is that nurture quality. Then, you know, so, so men and women really need to work at this one in, in a huge way. And uh, I was just writing an article about this, the, what I call the, the nurture pendulum syndrome. Okay. Wow, talk about that for us if you want. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's when you go from being in that state of wanting to help everybody, so much so that you might actually be looking for people to help. And then, you know, you say yes to everybody. You're just like, every, every time someone asks you to do something, which they do, nurturers are like targets for requests then you're just a yes, 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 everything. And, and you, they feel like they're in their glory. There's a, a real high, like a nurturer's high, but it's a fake high. You run, you're running on something like adrenaline, a nurturer's version of adrenaline. Sure. And then, and then the crash comes when all of a sudden you can't do it anymore. You, you get sick. That's my famous way to, to do it. Um, you know, you get sick, you fall down, you injure yourself, you fall apart, you... Uh, something all of a sudden you just can't do it anymore and you're forced. And what happens is that you go from being all yes to being all no. Okay. You, so that's burnout is what we would call that. Right. Anyways. Right. You bur- yeah, you burn out and then the, the nurturer slinks off and they lick their wounds and they start, you know, trying to pick up the pieces of their own life and do their own laundry and get their health back in order and, figure out their own problems in their own mind and life and business and whatever it is. Uh, but they're, but they're just this walking. No, anybody who asks them anything, it's like, no, 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 no. And, and both positions are like a really bad place for a nurture to nurturer to be. And they think they're making, they're having the remedy is by saying no, but that's not the remedy for the nurturer. It's too far the other way. Yeah. I get that. Because they're wired to give, they're wired to support, they're wired to help. So they go into denying that part of themselves and they cut, they cut themselves off. It costs them the energy in denial to suppress that important part of themselves. They're in misery. They're not helping anybody. That's, that's miserable for, for the nurturer. Right. And, right. So then you've got to come to that place of, of really looking honestly. Now it, now, it seems like the answer is balanced. It's not. It's going to look like balance from the outside, but the real answer is always the same. And it's to see, because it, you know, there might be times when a nurturer has to run hard, say a man in a, in a, in a, in a life where everybody's depending on them and they're getting sick. My dad worked through, uh, he, he was actually diagnosed with cancer 
as many as 20 times is what my mom said. My mom said, just unbelievable. But he never stopped. He worked through all of it, right? He couldn't stop. His universe depended on him. He was supporting everybody. So then the thing is, it's not to stop yourself from being like that. That's, that's another trap. It's to turn it around what saved my life to see whether you're doing all of that out of a place of true love and a true offering, or are you out there trying to get something? Are you trying to get, get people's love and approval? Are you trying to get control? Are you trying to unconsciously keep yourself safe and not die? Right? Then that's when that's the difference between having something either give you energy or suck the life out of you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Wow. So your dad, did he, he just, he lived a while in spite of all those diagnoses. You're saying 20 separate times. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Across mm-hmm. how many years? Uh, how, what was his first diagnosis when I was maybe um, 17 or 18? So that makes it like over the course of 40 ish. Gosh. Okay. 30, 30-ish, I don't know, my mask. really took that mission seriously, huh? Yeah, exactly. He's the quintessential king hero, right? He was not going to give up the ghost. He, he died at 75, not too bad for, you know, that he made it to 75. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Right, but still, with all of that lost energy, that's one of the thing, things that really inspires me to work for men because maybe if my dad had access to something like I'm doing right now, to help get into, I'm not saying I could have helped my dad, but you know, to, for those that are willing to look now, now men's real big Achilles heel is not doing the work outside in the world. That's women's Achilles heel. They're scared of doing that. Men's Achilles heel is doing the inner work. Mm, Okay. Right. Facing, facing the inner demons, feeling the emotions going through them. uh, You know, Men can have like really high courageous energy, but they're sitting, they're doing that on top of all kinds of unresolved, you know, trauma, pain, things, things that have happened in their life that were never dealt with because they didn't really have the luxury of dealing with it if their life was some kind of war zone. Okay. And then if you want to truly be that king hero, you got to deal with your shit. Okay. I, I just, I want to hear from you what you attribute that hesitance to address the inner work to. And there, maybe there's more than one answer. That's fine. I'm just curious For what sure. you would say. I think it's just nature. I think it's just nature that, that the masculine is, is wired for the outward actions of, of the building and, and the protecting and the defending and the, the, the muscle. Like, you know, men were given the physique to build okay. the house. Women were given the physique to nurse the babies. Um, you know, it's just, it's just sort of nature's, nature's way, but because the, the goal of the whole thing, what, what evolves the soul the most is to reclaim all parts, the masculine and the feminine, then we're destined to work together. Like that's why men and women have to go together. And I won't go off on a huge tirade on this one, but that's why men and women are meant to be together. That's nature's way. That's how it's designed, not just for making babies, but for being able to, you know, it's, it's when, a, when a man's in, in a woman's orbit, then he can access much more 
you know, be vulnerable, be open. That's the role that I, I play as a coach, not, not as a, as a partner, but more of a feminine Oracle where, um, they can, they can open up to me. They can cry. They can go through those hard emotions. They can face, face the pain because in the rest of their life, they can't. Right. Yeah. See, that gets into what I, what I think is, you know, it's difficult because, and this is another one of those psychopath tests here. Um, <laughs> it's what I don't like about some cultural institutions is there's, there being a test, like life being essentially how, how much can you resist lies that are given to you as tests? So things like express all of your feelings immediately and people find that attractive like that sensitivity without any strength attached to it is attractive whole generation of men believed that um a whole generation and you could go into cultural programming and what people were told that they should like now not even a gendered issue no one male female whatever likes to hear complaining or whining all the time from anyone that especially can be can be seen as true uh among men so and even i mean women will talk about how much confidence matters so but that wasn't taught to a whole generation that confidence matters it was well fearlessly share your feelings people believed it and some of the time they suffered for it so it's very frustrating because sometimes uh cliches are true for a reason and sometimes it's you know of being stoic is good. Now it gets it now that gets into men being in relationships where maybe they can never talk about their feelings. Now that's just damaging. And you're probably with some kind of a narcissist or something, but, mm-hmm. or some other personality disorder. But mm-hmm. I think, I think for one thing, we know that men's heart rates stay elevated longer after an argument. So that's why they're naturally inclined to try to disengage when arguing or having a heated discussion with their partner. And then mm-hmm. women are able to process that stuff, emotional turmoil easier and go back to a, a base heart rate. So it's funny how that, that traditional gender heuristic has some biological basis to it. So I think there's some, as, as with most things, I'll kind of take the easy answer of it's nature and nurture. It's not usually mm-hmm. one or the other, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's interesting the men getting back to a place of balance. I mean, women have been told that they're not, that, that femininity needs to be squelched and they need to essentially be psychopathic themselves. The answer the culture is <laughs> given for a lot of stuff is not that everyone needs empathy. It's that everyone needs to be ruthless. That's mm. really what you get down to is mm. what I've seen. It's, and and mm-hmm. I, I think there's a balance in that. It's not required that everyone be utterly um, psychopathic. And in fact, that leads to a lot of, uh, fighting that's unnecessary and a lot of stress. So people aren't built to do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was my discovery when I was doing the women's journey. I had, I got to the Royal archetype and that stage of the journey, I, I feminized it. I called it maternal leader because I was all pro pro women at that point. And I'm literally giving the class the first time I ever taught this journey and I'm coming, I'm talking about this archetype and it's like, oh my God, it's not maternal at all. This is mm-hmm. the king. This right. is the king. And the reason that it's king, it, it's, 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 it's unnatural. Like I, I'm, I'm dealing with the women out there like myself that for one reason or another, you know, I was just talking to a woman um, uh, yesterday. I talked to them all the time that are in that situation where 
they end up the king of their world, right? That half the marriages break up and, and many people end up in, uh, in that single parenting situation. My, my son has a good dad. He lives with his dad, actually, but I'm still the king. Uh, not over him, but, but because my world doesn't have the, the king element in it, I have to be that. It's a vacuum, right? Sure. And so, you know, to get out there and for the women that I teach to build businesses, they need king energy. They need their, their masculine build and, you know, to be assertive and to be out there and to, to um, extend themselves. So it's not natural, but it's what is going on. It's, that's the reality. So, you know, that's, that's where we've either bent nature or I always feel like with any luck, we are going somewhere back to nature. But yeah, that's what I discovered in me. I was, I was, uh, that was the big war with my own inner masculine. I didn't want to be that king. Right from the early age, I'm vice president of my parents' firm. I, right away, I had that, that masculine, I'm wearing a suit and I'm, you know, sitting at this uh, masculine desk and in a masculine office and a, like it was just, that was my whole mode of being my whole life, but I'm finally at peace with it. And it has allowed me to be more feminine than ever. I think that's, you know, it really comes down to the, the fusion, the combination in the persona of the different archetypes and how if one's being exhausted and you're living out of that role you get role strain. If you're living out of that kingship and you want some uh, more uh, creativity, you want, you want freedom, you want to, to, to other, access other archetypes, it, that's really liberating to do so. And you've set your life up in a way now you, you can do that. It's great. And you can see, that's, I think, what people need to strive for. That's a huge thing. Uh, men have been taught to, they've been taught a lot of different conflicting narratives. And so, it's up to them, unfortunately. It's up to anybody who, who has had traumatic experiences to seek help and then join with somebody who's willing to work with them. Uh, but the first step is always on, on, on the person who's, who's seeking it. Um, and so I like doing these kind of podcasts. I like being able to chat about, well, here, here's what you may be noticing and let's validate a little bit here and here's where you can learn more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, ultimately a positive message there is what I'm saying, even though we've got a lot of chaos and life being set up in a way where it's an arms race of ideas. And like you're saying, everybody who has a business has to have some kingship to them or they will go nowhere. They'll cave to people wanting stuff for free, you know, just unsustainable stuff. And I see that exactly. a lot with therapists. Therapists have a notoriously bad business sense. Um, and, and you can say, Oh, well that's empathy. Eh, I think it's short sightedness because if, if therapists really think about the fact that, if you're not making any money, you can't help people because you'll have to stop doing it. Exactly. So that's the real empathy is being able to see that your own health affects that of your, of how many clients you can see, like your own financial, physical, and spiritual health. You'll, if you're limited in those, you'll be limited in how, how far your healing message can go. That's the big message for the nurturers when they see that. They're not only holding themselves back, but they're holding their people back. Yes. And it's really sad to see that because there's so much, I mean, there are so many therapists out there who have a great message and who have a unique approach that would resonate with the whole demographic, but maybe they're not confident or comfortable doing that, whatever reasons, you know, 
Um, and I, I had a chat with one recently who's just taking the plunge into private practice while also doing some agency work and stuff to kind of make sure that there's some income coming in. And I'm glad, I'm glad to see it because uh, if, if we're not confident ourselves, how can we hope to make clients more confident? But that's kind of the, the paradox is, is living what you believe. If you, can, if you can do that, then that's really the measure of authenticity I mean, if, you, if you believe the stuff you're saying. Yeah, that's, that's got to be a, a basis for it. That's where belief is really flaky because you, you can look back over your, no, no offense, but you can look back over no your life and, and see that your, your beliefs continuously changed. Yeah. Every day almost. Sometimes Absolutely. Those beliefs change. And they should because you take on new information and you believe something different. But I think there's a little point where you can just not believe anymore. It's not belief that, that it's, it's, because the less I believe, the more I sense, the more information I can actually take in. Right. I agree with that. So there's, and there's this thing, people are so unbelievably hung up on uh, always cognitively having a reason for always cognitively doing stuff. You can't always think your way into confidence. You have to do your way into it. You can't think your way always into thinking better right? You, your thinking is, a, is a, a function of your environment and what you're doing. You have to change. If you want to be more confident, go do something different. I have a lot Ooh. of clients who overthink, get caught in having to really, really reason things out before doing it. And that's not, and I empathize with that because I love to think that won't be a surprise to anyone who knows me, but you also have to act. Don't get caught up in these, in these fallacies mm -hmm. of fighting something with something else, you know, with the kind of just it the, the neurotic tendency that's another thing I think that healers get into is they they want everything to be perfect because they want to make sure they're being ethical and everything that's great but then once you've reached a certain point and it's time to just jump in mm -hmm. you got it so as part of my programs I teach uh, how to alchemize an archetype I just coined that Ooh, that term I love that okay and and so the, the process of alchemy is something that i've I just I, again i looked at a little bit of it and i ran with it and i just i've just started to use it it's it's what's already happening to create anything mm -hmm. and it works it works through the five elements right so you, you got you when you've got the ether element if it is to flow it is some kind of reason to do anything some purpose there must be purpose is the is the impetus for anything to start being created Yes. Once you once you have the ether and the purpose, then it gives birth to the fire. All of a sudden, there is inspiration, whoosh, like this, and the inspiration automatically gives you the thoughts of what it is that needs to be created to to like take pick up the thread of that purpose and that inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then and then this is where humanity gets stuck, and it's one of the reasons that we think to, uh, thinking is our enemy. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's that underneath the thoughts, the feelings flood, the water element is next after air. And that's where we're all debilitated. That's where people are terrified to, you know, this has been the whole of my adult life going into those feelings. And because I was nearly losing my life, of course, the fear of death is the big one on the plate. It's the mm -hmm. big elephant in the room. And it's, it's the big elephant in the room for everybody. Sorry if you're not feeling it, but that's what's actually, you know, that's what's actually happening. I'm, I'm a huge champion for helping people that know they're afraid to die. The vast majority of people are in denial of that. Oh, I'm not afraid to die. Yes, you are. And we wouldn't, 
you know, humanity wouldn't be in trouble right now if that wasn't the unconscious thing that that's going on for everybody. So once you've dealt with the, the fears, then, you know, it, the, the alchemy process is basically you want to be doing anything in your life for this one reason only, not for the reason that you want to stay safe and survive, not because you want everybody to love you, not because you want to be in, in control in your life. It's because you are. Okay. That's, that's powerful. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, so if you really deal with the feelings under the thought that came from the inspiration that came from the purpose, then you go, bring, you get to manifest. You just, you will manifest something of your, of your vision, of your, of your making. Now we'll manifest anyway, but we might manifest something not of our liking. Uh, absolutely. Right. Right. So we're talking kind of about law of attraction stuff here of, of if you're, you've got negative intentions and you don't know it really, you're, you're going to act out of that and manifest negative stuff. Right. It's sort of it, because the, the whole thing you could say, it's like the, you know, God's listening to us when we say, you know, um, I'm not safe. And God goes, Oh, okay. You're not safe here. Let me show you a whole bunch of reasons. You're not safe. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it's what we put our attention to what we, what we concentrate on becomes more, it, it, it's what we move toward what we're focusing on, you know, um, it, from a, the perspective of social psychology, there's a great book called Presuasion by the guy who did, um, that book, um, influence, you know, Robert Cialdini, the, the, the quintessential, um, scholarly researcher on social influence and all that stuff talks about getting people focusing people's attention on whatever you want it to be on really gets them that does the rest and so when you talk about this goes full circle to what society teaches us to value right garbage food or other things like that when you talk about edward bernays it's so funny at least three of my guests i've spoken to about this character that doesn't really come up in a lot of everyday conversation but one of the common threads in people I interview is they tend to be deeper researchers of cultural norms and ideas, right? So his name mm -hmm. is bound to come up if you do even a, a superficial look at propaganda mm -hmm. in the 20th century and what laid the groundwork for how advertising is done now, right? For, uh, using uh, smoking, as using women's rights as a a way to is a Trojan horse to get smoking in, right? Saying, Oh, well, if men can smoke, women can too. In the twenties, that was a big, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But that's what tends to happen is this emphasis on something. Oh, this is a great thing. And, and but it's really, it's really not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's all appealing to the part of ourself that's already vibrating with fear. Yes. And, yes. and so it, it feels true because it vibrates with fear. Ah, I'm familiar with fear. Yes, that must be true. And yeah. you're almost, you know, there's almost a helplessness about it because it's just, it's like a tuning fork and it's vibrating with us. So yeah, it requires, that's why a lot of people don't want to wake up until some kind of big calamity happens to them. Like the, the thing that happened to me, you know, you're not going to live through this. Oh, okay. I better wake up and see what the heck's going on here. Yeah, uh, you know, but we can do that to ourselves. It's not necessary. If if you hold the belief that you need a big breakdown to grow, you're gonna get the breakdown. But if you don't have, if you can let that belief go, then you can learn 
I'm a huge proponent. Learn from other people's mistakes. That's why I talk about my mistakes. So if somebody can see me, so somebody can see me and do differently. Sure. I mean, I think that's the big thing that healers do on their journeys is say, well, here's something that I've done. Here's how you can avoid it. Now, um, it's funny you bring up moving toward pain. We see that a lot, and I know that you're aware of this, uh, in the world of trauma therapy. So people, the difference between a, a trauma therapist and somebody who's maybe a well-intentioned family member is, you know, you observe a loved one who is continually entering into some kind of pathological form of relationship, right? Like dating the same kind of character. Uh, you hear about like, used to be called battered wife syndrome, right? which is kind of a crude, crude way of looking at it, crude term, but um, people go for the care they, they think they deserve and they expect and the familiar, right? People crave an end to, people, people want to minimize ambiguity. And so minimizing ambiguity by going toward familiar patterns, even if they're damaging long-term, tends to be what people often do. So it explains, well, why is someone who's intelligent otherwise with someone or accepting behavior that is so readily, obviously harmful? Well, because it's familiar um, and, and even if it's painful, right? And so you're talking about um, people focusing on things and, and like if you believe that you're going to have a breakdown or that this is how men are, this is how women are, whatever, then you'll, you'll have a confirmation bias, find examples of it and run with it tends to be very, very uh, in line with, with what people do. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so powerful to change what your paradigm is and to, to alchemize some new, uh, some new archetypes. Nice. I like you using that word. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I'll be sure to reference that in the, in the description too. I think people will like that. In the right book. on, right on. I, I'd like to talk about that, uh, how, because patterns and cycles seem to be the enemy. Right. Right. That that this is, Oh, damn it. I keep doing it again and again and again. I can't stop it. But you can, you can reframe that and see, no, those patterns and cycles. Yes. You got involved with the abusive guy again. And the reason is not just because, you know, you're meant to see how wrong you are. Actually, you're right. You're right. It's meant to bring up that thing in you. That's not healed. Absolutely. And, and at one point, you can just say once and for all, oh, okay, I'm going to confront this head on. I'm going to stop having a conflict with that abusive guy. And I'm going to, I'm going to take on the conflict that's inside myself. Right. Right. And, uh, and then, and then that, that pattern and that cycle becomes your best friend because it shows up. And it'll keep showing up, according to me anyway. You know, all my, all my cycles and patterns, they keep going, but they get more subtle. And they get like, even from the outside, someone may not even notice that that cycle has happened again. Uh, I just went through a massive breakthrough on something I feel like I've seen for the first time in my life, but um, you know, it's still, it's still operating. It's just operating at a different place. It's to, I think it's to keep us humble, to keep us working in the process to, to, to never go like, oh, I'm done now. I'm so great. Um, you know, to keep us, cause otherwise when you feel finished, I think, then you're dead. I think that's like, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As long as you're growing, you're living. Right. So no, I, I think that's, that is awesome to hear. Um, one thing I like to ask people and I reminded myself here, uh, is who would you meet if you could meet three people living or dead? Okay. Well, Carl Jung for sure. Of course. I'm pretty sure he's a mermaid and I just need to confirm that. 
Yeehaw. I mean a king hero, pardon me. That's, <laughs> That's the old me talking there. Uh, the definition of that, by the way, just is, is people who really care about the world, they're not, they're not able to sit back and just watch the shit that's going on. They need to do something and they need to do something that's their thing to do, not just anything. And they're magically gifted and they need to know how to uh, actually manifest through that magic rather than just sit on it like an egg. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's more the mermaid side of thing. Now, men tend to just, I'll go on this little tangent. Men already tend to be more on purpose when they're working with me. They just don't know how to survive their purpose because they're losing so much energy to the, the inner demons. That's, that's just the, the whole of it. But who else would I want to meet? Uh, but Carolyn, Carolyn Mace is for sure on the list. I now I'm writing a book that is, uh, I completed the first draft. It's like a miracle. I never thought I would get that far into, into a book and, and I've done it. Now I'm in the edit process and uh, she, I'm, I'm hoping that she's going to write the foreword because, you know, she literally by, by publishing when she did, it saved my life. So that's, that's mm. a woman that I, that that's I want to meet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a third one, boy, I'd have to give it some thoughts. Who would I want to, who would I want to meet that I haven't met? Mm. Yeah. How about that? I want to make this a really good one. Um, <laughs> Um, Josh, I might have to get back to you if I only oh, yeah, get that's fine. Yeah. If I only get one because I don't want to make it. Yeah, no, go with it. Just just say what comes to mind. Yeah, for sure. No, nothing. Nothing's coming up. It's. Uh, um, what? To talk about if you want to talk about your book, I want to give ample time to that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating how the whole thing happened. It's, it's a lot of what I've been talking about already with the, what began with the Merpreneur's journey. So the, the, the journey to be valued for your purpose. Yes. And, and so then the, the king hero thing takes over. Oh. And then I'm like, okay, the book is for the kings. It's all for the kings now. Like I was literally going to uh, not jump ship, but I just wanted to really start making men powerful because that's faster than making women powerful. Right? Mm, that's fa- wow, it's that's fa- a statement. What, is it, what do you mean by that? If I help a powerful guy, I'm helping everybody who's uh, oh, in his world. connected to his network. Yes. Okay. I understand what you're saying. Right. Yeah. So there's, I've always got this thing about speed. Like what's the, what's the way to help somebody who's going to, it's going to help the most out there. Okay. Uh, so it's not that I don't want to help women. It was just oh, like, not. I just, I just saw how powerful it was to help somebody who's already really out in the world influencing. Got it. All yeah. right. Um, and then, and then I, I realized that in the course of the process and the healing of my own inner masculine and feminine and and watching that grow, I realized like, it's not one or the other. This is, this is both. It's gotta be both. So using the same, again, going through the archetype journey, it's a map of, uh, of consciousness. It's a map of the journey so that, because I did all this blind, I did all this without having anything to follow. And now I can just kind of go like, here's something to follow where you can reclaim your energy. You can find out what your gifts are. You can take advantage of having been through challenges and, and then see that that's a gift you now have to offer. You can slay your demons. So I can just let, hand somebody a map and they can get so far on it. If yes. I had this, right? If I had this back when I was diagnosed with cancer, mm. it would have been a totally different thing. And, uh, so walking people through that journey, but continuously threading 
the masculine and the feminine through. So men can see women, women can see men and start to empathize, start to come together. If there's conflict, to be able to let that go and say, no, no, we're on the same journey. We need to work together and uh, come out of this strong because, you know, the human society is, is crumbling. It needs to be built up and, and the, the masculine, feminine, men and women are the cornerstone of that. Right. Wow, That's spectacular. I think you're giving a really, a really, uh, in a good description of the book so that people out there can kind of get excited for it, huh? You can actually buy it already. So it oh, it's out it, there. It, no, I haven't finished writing it yet. So okay. it's, um, but you can do, if you're interested in getting uh, the very first copies off the press as soon as it's published and printed, what I'm offering right now is a chance to purchase it as a pre-sale. Mm -hmm. And then what comes along with it is, I call it Journey Plus Goodies. It comes along with um, a whole... Uh, bi-weekly meeting, what I, it's just an archetype study group where people can come and, and talk about what's going on in their life and I can help them alchemize their archetypes to, to get to a place of, of clarity and reclaim energy along the way. So a study group, not, not really a class, but where people are going to sure. come in and, and uh, want to work on themselves and just want someone to, uh, you know, to walk with on, the, on that journey. So that's the gift of if you're brave enough to spend 20 bucks on my book. Uh, in advance before it exists and then you get gifted into this into this um, family archetype study group well i think that the community there the accountability and the 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 camaraderie there will be very appealing to people because that's something that's often lacking exactly that's yeah building building community the, the book is called journey yeah so yeah exactly that's, <laughs> yeah. that's beautiful thank you very much yeah, I think people will be um, really positively influenced by checking out their, their archetypes, maybe the ones that they over-rely on or that monopolize their behavior and the ones that, that maybe are neglected. So in, in trauma work, that's often the case. is like maybe the scared child uh, ego state that was, that was developed is, is monopolizing someone. They don't, they don't have confidence because... Some kind, and that's different archetypes and, and ego states because ego states are very individualized and different. It's just different ways of functioning. Um, but I think there's a lot of correlation there. And the, the archetypes and the, the alchemy metaphors are certainly helpful for people. Just the tiniest little bit. I talked to somebody yesterday and just a conversation. We just had a conversation about one single archetype. They said they felt totally different after the conversation, right? And that's, that's just how it works. It can be very quick. Now you have to be completely willing. No one can do it to you. No one can no. come along and alchemize you and let, that kind no. of thing. But, like, but if you're ready, yeah, that's right. If you're ready and open, then this stuff is, is the fastest that I've ever, I combine it with a release process that, uh, that again, it's, it's just about finding the core programs under the feelings, under the beliefs. Uh, they're very predictable. That's the thing. There's so much order that can be tapped into to just be able to go very precisely and see being there. That's where I'm stuck. Remove the program and your energy shoots up and all of a sudden life starts to be, uh, you know, something more of your making, more of your liking than, than the opposite. Uh, I'll never promise, disclaimer, I'll never promise that life's going to be easy because honestly the challenges get bigger as I go along by far and I'm doing it to myself. I don't have to write this book. I don't have to change my world. I didn't have to create a King Heroes universe. 
but the the imperative is to grow that's it seems to be the like for me it's not an option not to do that and i do believe there's a belief but i i i feel it to be true for everybody that that's what we're here to do is to grow absolutely i agree with you um, and that's again the, the the issue. I think people are told is as they mature, if they if they mature, that no problems will arise. Well, the same more elementary problems of like choosing someone who's terrible for you or doing things that kind of are, are more binary in nature that that will get better. You'll you won't make those mistakes anymore, but disappointments along the way to actualizing yourself and your mission are potentially still in the cards. So people have to be, be understanding of the fact that the challenges will be different. I think the higher you go, it's at least been my experience. Yeah. What I, what I noticed a few things I like to say about that is that the, the problems on the outside get more reduced. There's, there's less of yeah, that. That's a great right. way of looking at it. But the, but the experience inside gets increased. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Right, right. So you yeah. used to need, need big break them down, knock them down experiences out there. But now they're, it, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. If God built that in, that's why. Because it keeps you, it keeps you really humble every day. Facing your own, you know, your own inner world is like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh and yet you can there's so many symptoms of things getting getting better and improving and uh you know overall energy raising and and that kind of thing um yeah i can't remember what else oh and what you said about like someone said it yesterday to me again the healing journey it's not like oh you go you get this straight line and you go up it's actually this it's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down now, if you take that up and down line and you turn it this way, it's a spiral. Yes, absolutely. Right. So then not never to feel like, yeah, that's just how the, the law. We actually recently did a great workshop on the seven hermetic laws, the natural laws. And one of them is the law of rhythm. And that's it's basically what goes up and goes, comes down and goes up and goes down and goes up and comes down. And then you don't have to worry where it's like one minute, you know, right now I feel like I, I totally got it. Well, something may happen later that makes me feel like I totally don't have it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. That's funny. <laughs> Who's we, you said you, we were, we did a workshop. Do you, who are you collaborating with? It, with a woman, Natalie Reimer Anderson, that I often shout out to. We've got oh, a, cool. yeah, a project called Reclaiming Paradise. And it's looking into some of, yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's, it's a little bit of a, a hobby farm right now because both of us have such really big full-time businesses. She was originally my client. I helped her build a business out of her life's work and she's been really successful at it. But her and I have a lot of um, meeting on the esoteric subjects and the, the, the seeking of truth. It's just our, our mission in life. So we get together to do these workshops every so often. That's absolutely awesome. Um, the Super fun. Spiral, right. Um, massive uh, awareness there for people that everything's not linear, which is something that we tend to, to, to believe in, in culture is, is things are the upward progression. 
And I think there's many reasons why we're taught that. I mean, it's, it's simplistic. It's a good heuristic to use. Um, mm -hmm. What you were saying earlier about children being connected and, and, and having the right view of things, what do you think it would look like to have a society of people who are more attuned? Go into more detail on that because I like a lot of people who are, are more spiritually inclined do believe that we kind of, it's a process of actually um, de-evolution of awareness that people are not, like as they develop, they get more disconnected and fragmented. And that's not a good thing to be that individualized. Where do you see there being like a balance between being enmeshed in others and individualized? If you do, if you see anything like that. Yeah, it's such a good question. There's a lot of different things I want to say that for one, the, the act of deciding now, I don't want to undo your world too much, but the act oh, of trying sure. to decide what's your shit and what's somebody else's shit, I think is useless. Okay. Now it might have a place because I don't, I'm not a therapist and I don't work with trauma victims in that way. So I, I you know, I, I don't know that side of things, but I do know that if you can take radical responsibility for all the shit, then it's a way more powerful place than sitting there trying to decide, take inventory, what's yours and what's your not. So, so my, my guideline when people say, and it's not a matter of blaming yourself because that's, that's a totally different kind of a fracture. But when people say like, you know, what's mine, I'll just say, if you can feel it, it's yours. Oh no, I absolutely think that that's accurate. So in couples and relationship counseling, any kind of counseling where you're looking at it from a systems perspective, there's the idea of circular causality where it doesn't matter where something started or finished. doesn't matter whose fault it is. If it's a pattern, if it's like a program, if it's a feedback loop that's occurring, you've got to interfere with it somewhere. And, and causality is less important than ownership and awareness. So I do agree with that. I think I mean, whatever situation you're in, to an extent, I want to be very careful here because I don't want to do any victim blaming, but I will say that our environment, we, we tend to at a certain age when we're developed enough, be able to have some autonomy over it. And if we're in a situation where a lot's happening, that's not our fault, maybe we need to leave that environment because it's best to just not try to separate whose fault is, is whose, right? It's better to change the environment and to, and to take some action there. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's, that's great. And then you make so much more headway because like when, when the partner is doing the wrong thing and it seems really clear that they're doing the wrong thing. Yes. Like so, so much so that they would agree with me that I'm a victim to that. Right. Of a, of a crime. Even, Absolutely. Right? And, and yet if you can get to the next level of it and go, okay, it's what you said. I'm part of this. I am part of this. This would not exist without me. And, and then dig in yourself for where you are. Now, you can't have somebody from the outside tell you you're causing it. But you can see it for yourself. It's usually way more nuanced than one person causing it or doing it. EMDR and a lot of trauma therapy, it involves, I know I've said this before, but uh, like the, the, a rhythm is such a foundational idea. Frequency whatever you want to use, like um, with EMDR, it involves bilateral stimulation and noticing, having dual awareness, noticing the external stimulation and then the internal thing that you're processing with through. So it, anytime someone tries to sell an answer or a series of answers in life that are very linear or very pat and easy to understand, I think that there's a, it's usually 
just that it's utterly simplistic and not something that's helpful, right? Because there's usually some more complexity, even if it's a binary, that's more, more complex than a unitary thing. That's, that's easily said. So, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of, there can be elegance in, in rhythm and complex ideas. I'm not saying everything complicated is true, uh, but I think we see things go the other way now where it, it, go, it gets into, well, just take responsibility for yourself. Great. And then what? Right, you got to choose your environment. You got to do some things, but it's a step at a time. It can be, uh, it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this because it's a huge part of the work that I do. When I had to basically be still for three years healing from cancer, mm -hmm. I, it was all inward journey, right? And it was actually the masculine going inward, <laughs> doing that work. And what I noticed about the inward life is it, it's incredibly complex beyond, yeah. beyond belief, way, way more so than I could have ever imagined. Yes. And, and then, so in order to do that work, it was like, it was like hitting this wall of complexity and it's like, oh my God, where do I begin? And that's where archetypes stepped in to give me a window in. And that, that's what I feel like my, the work that I do is a way oversimplification. When you look at the eight archetypes on my journey, mm -hmm. it's a huge oversimplification, but it gives people points of entry because if you have no point of entry, you, you're lost. You can't do the work. You don't get on, you don't get on your calling. It's just going to look like a wall of impossible. So, wow. so there's nothing wrong with uh, allowing things like working at a simplistic level. There's nothing wrong with that because again, I saved my life working with one archetype and then absolutely, and the, the same time, the, the desire to figure out the complexity of it. Um, you may see, you may see, you may sense, but, but the, but the pursuit to figure out the complexity of the soul, I think is lo a lot of lost energy. That's just trying to control something that's not controllable. Um, so, but you will see, you know, th that, that knowledge can be badly abused because it's like, don't use your mind to look into complex situations. No, you should actually, because there's a lot of like real complex messes out there and we should use our minds on it. But when it comes to the soul stuff, it's not, it's not about figuring out. It's about just uh, really letting your senses work as they do magically. Well, oh my, yes. Yeah. Um, such a big topic here um, <laughs> because it, well, and I've lately been watching some uh, crime, crime sort of, what is it? Police interviews and things. I, a YouTube suggested a channel to me for that. And for anybody out there as a therapist who wants to really learn logical fallacies, human manipulation stuff and see what clients may be subjected to who are trauma survivors, check that stuff out because the, the, the exploits and the things that are used communication wise are so subtle and they prey on our senses and the things we observe. Right. So our, mm -hmm. our ability to observe our, um, our senses are so much more like even our ability to even judge eye contact and things that are so, so taken for granted, right. That people, if they lose it due to a brain injury, that only then does it become noticeable. It's fascinating. So I like what you're saying. I think the one of the big pitfalls of the, of the overly intellectual, and I, I, I can speak to this from experience, is p relying on everything being cognitive and not as much sensory stuff um, when, when there's so much of it that 
if we don't pay attention to, can be used in a manipulative way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely imperative to keep the mind very sharp. That's, That's clear to, you know, it's very convenient for powers to tell us in this so-called spiritual new age that they manufactured to dumb us the heck down, uh, you know, it's very convenient for them to say, don't think. It, it is. It is extremely convenient for that. I mean, you look at the, so this is kind of a dichotomy here of Brave New World versus 1984. So I think 1984, you know, it's a, it's, it's a book, right? People, people like it a lot or they don't. I think it, it you know, the way that it, illustrates totalitarianism that heavy-handed approach of uber masculine right it's kind of the fear of that and i think that that's valid i think that that's a thing that that is a part of dictatorialism but you look at brave new world and you look at people being entertaining themselves to death you look at the weaponize it's just a of urging people into passivity and that, and, and that's what you were talking about today to an extent is that the psychopathic narrative of, oh, just uh, concentrate on feeling good, right? Mm-hmm. On exactly. Soma, right? As, some, as the, the drug. So I think it's really crucial for people to recognize what, are you, what is being played on? What are you being sold? Everything is one of the big sales things that you hear now, even on Twitter from a lot of sales gurus is you're, you're not selling a product, you're selling a lifestyle. That's, that's for everything, right? Mm-hmm. If you're being sold something, you know, you, you, the, the velvet glove over the iron, iron fist seems to be the way of, of everything that's trying to get into consciousness. So I think it's vital for people. To, I get on that tangent a lot because people, uh, people are expecting someone to tell them what to do. And they're, they're, they screen for that. They're ready to say no. But when you have someone persuade you into something, getting in the back door, getting in through some, some way that maybe we aren't especially assertive or, or, or a weakness that we have and that's sized up. That, that's, the resistance is just, it just melts away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you're saying so much here. Um, you did ask a question earlier that I want to kind of jump back to please, as well, please. just in, in terms of a, a, like, you know, that our children, so how do we, how do we start showing them uh, the possibility of how to live because th- there was there was a, a point where waking up to how much was unnatural, how much was manipulated, how our senses had been hijacked, how you you know everything I thought was real is not real, um, all the things that I didn't know existed do mm-hmm. uh, on and on and on and I'm, so I'm begging I'm going like oh my god could I in my lifetime mm-hmm. see what would a human being be in a natural context where they're not under all of these unnatural threats. And, and I'm like, you know, is it possible that in my lifetime I could ever see that? So then uh, I, I attended a, a, a community festival. I was presenting this workshop and uh, played some music. And, uh, and so the festival, it had its closing ceremonies and, and it's a transformational festival. It's not sort of like a regular, you know, DJ festival or straight up music, lots of music, but, Right. So pe- people are literally there to evolve their soul in some way. And, uh, and they do. And they, the tendency is that they open up uh, in ways that nobody would expect. They certainly don't expect. But there's this hundredth monkey effect that goes on 
they see somebody opening up and they think, oh, they didn't die. I, I can do that. And by the end of the festival, everybody's so open. It's outrageous. They, they're all taking, you know, it would it, it, actually be a miracle if you saw one person do it. But there was like, they had about 30 people talk, give a talk and say stuff. Uh, I, I always can't stop myself. I got up and said something about the transformation I'd been through. And then, so, you know, we're, we're sitting, we're all, everyone's standing around. Nobody wants to leave after the festival. Everybody's like hugging and talking and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, this is it. Here it is. I've seen it. I didn't have to wait. <laughs> I, I saw it in my lifetime, what it would look like because those people had the sense that someone had their back. If they stepped out on a limb and showed their authentic self and uh, risked dying because that's what, it, that's what the threat is. That's why we don't come out and, and, and be our true nature, who we are. Then, you know, somebody's got my back. I can do this. This is, this is fine. We can work together. We're all on the same, we're all in the same wavelength here. And uh, so that's, to me, demonstrating. Make your life a demonstration. If you want to teach a child mm-hmm. how how to be in nature is like, is it demonstrated? Be, take yes. the risk, take the risk, put yourself out there. Social your learning self. theory, model good behavior. Oh, well, parenting has really taken a hit in our postmodern world. That's a huge thing. Believing that kids are essentially uh, able to, with a little push, develop. They, they need guidance from, from trusted adults. I, I love what you're talking about. This sounds like a great festival too, whatever this was. Everybody should come to it. Yeah, I really have a vision for them as well. What is it, if you don't mind it's, me asking? It's called the I Am Festival. And, and so they're so aptly named, I Am, right? That's, that's the alchemy. If you, okay. if you have, you, they didn't even know it. They just, it just sounds good and uh, I shouldn't discredit them. But, uh, but yeah, that's, it's a beautiful festival just outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba here, August 14 to 16, 2020. So you could put that on your on your map and uh yeah and, and come out it's uh it's for the brave ones because you, you're not going to be the same after you're going to be a different uh version of yourself and i uh, that's a this is a good place to wrap up this exciting message here anything you want to share because i want to be mindful of time sure. um anything you want to share in conclusion i mean you've got so much awesome stuff in the works you've got your book coming out journey you have uh a lot of interviews that are uh, out there under attached to your Twitter, which I'll share your, your Twitter, obviously attached to the podcast description. Yeah. The other thing is that you can visit my website and if you are more of the Merpreneur, uh, then you can do a Merpreneur's archetype quiz. What does and that mean? To, really quick Merpreneur, like a mermaid entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, the one that wants to be valued for their purpose. That's okay. They, they, they want to do it full time. It's it's mm-hmm. at some point your your finances. It doesn't. Not every single entrepreneur goes into business, but a lot of them do. Okay. And so that's you know because it, it takes a whole lot for a woman to to get into that more masculine energy, and that's what I've done for ten years is is work with these entrepreneurs to help them build businesses or work through their fears of getting to that place. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, and then and then if you are more of a king hero than you are a mermaid, you can do the king hero's archetype quiz and find out where you are on the path of purpose, where you're, where you're. It it, it doesn't show you who you are; it shows you where you are. Mm, I like that distinction. That's great to, to locate yourself and see, and then you get that quick window into what are my biggest challenges, what are my biggest gifts. You can instantaneously reclaim some energy 
And then if you like, there are programs on both sides. The Merpreneur's Journey, you can go through an eight-week program and uh, just dive in to, to reclaim your gifts and, uh, and wake the shadows up. And then the same with the King Heroes version now fully uh, exists. You can do it as an online program. You can do it with a, a handhold from me with personal coaching so that you get through your particular uh, things because the fact is that we can't see ourselves. We need people to reflect back to us who we are. And I think the higher you up on, or are in your journey, the more uh, responsibility you're willing to take on, the more you need that. You know, I, I get more and more support as I go along. I have more and more coaches and mentors and access to support that, uh, than I ever have. So yeah. then, mm -hmm. so then if you like, I can provide links yes. to, to those quizzes and also to the journey. If you're interested in being part of this uh, journey as I go along, then it's really fun to have you, have you along in the way. And no doubt you're going to contribute to the actual content of the book too. That's amazing. That's amazing to hear. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I think listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Wonderful. By the way, if I can just throw in, just because I'm thinking of it, that yes. if, you know, if, if you actually are in that place where you're ready to make this change, you know even what you need to do, but you're not doing it, and you want to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, I'd be happy to extend to you a chance to just uh, knock on my door in any way, you know, hit, hit the contact button at my website, uh, DM me on Twitter, wherever, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and just let me know you'd like to chat, and I'd be happy to uh, get on a call or a Zoom with you. All right. You heard it here, everyone. Beth is willing to work with people and help you bring out your archetypes to be your best self. Right on. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for hosting me. This has been a really fabulous conversation. Absolutely.